out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastor. And as you know, we love a special guest. This week is going to be the turn of the Scottish bass band, the Fire Engines, because I recently spoke to Graham Main to find out more about life, love and poetry, obviously. Anyway, look, this is the interview and after an amazingly long chat, <laughs> which has all been edited out, mostly about the Scottish football team of 1974 to 78 um, and other stuff, really. Yes, lockdown, tier one, tier two, tier three. We got down to the very exciting subject of music, indeed, because the fire engines, um, yes, they appeared in the late 70s into the early 80s and produced some classic music. Anyway, look, we got down to the other exciting subject that was the early formative years. Graham, tell us more. We need info. We need data. We need facts. It's over to you. At that time, I was everything was kind of uh, top of the pops was the the touchstone of everything that was going on at the time the, of uh, um, music to for the masses, and I was just, I was growing up I'm roughly the same as you, so it was, it was pretty much the same thing. I was into uh, the uh, hearing great stuff like Tamil Motown, stacks, just the music that was going on the day. My uh, uh, big Revelation was uh, going into my brother's record collection. My brother's seven years older than me. <clears throat> he was, um, he had a pretty good, uh, a wide selection of stuff, more adult than uh, uh, to these young years. But I'd been watching cartoons and stuff, and I was doing kid stuff during the sixties. And uh, I've I come across these Frank Zappa LPs and uh, Hot Rats, uh, Lumpy Gravy. Uh, we're all in it for the money, Uncle Meat, and it was it was a perfect. It seemed to be a perfect transition. It was a perfect transition from uh, cartoons to adult music. Yeah. I felt like I'd, I'd made this big leap, and it, it made it was it was great. It was funny, I and mean, he was he was into that. And other people were into that uh, uh, Zappa, and um, oh, that's, oh, this is really fantastic, and it's really funny, and it's really chopped up and kind of disjointed, uh, and fractured, and. Yeah, I thought from there I was uh, I was kind of hooked. I didn't go down to any prog, anything too prog. I was just I was kind of bored me. I was just a bit too self indulgent. But uh, that early stuff was my uh, my intro to adult yes. music. So did you did you discover in his record collection then you know his a, a sort of wide range of psychedelic rock from the sort of sixties like you know. Hendrix of the Doors or Jefferson Airplane, or was it kind no. of more? No, 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 there was nothing too psychedelic. It was just, I mean, I mean Frank Zappa famously, they discouraged anything like drugs. It was all like, it was, it was no drugs. It was, and it was, uh, it was, he was just into the, the music and making, uh, uh, inspired by Edgar Varese. So it was, it was, um, I only read that later when I was much older and enjoyed the, enjoyed the looking back on it and just how it, how it uh, filtered into my sort of, yeah, musical memory bank, you know, yeah. which you could tap into later. Well, that's right. And did, and did he have, the, um, did he go into things like the, the nuggets, you know, and the son, you know, like that particular genre of music and Velvet Underground? I mean, he sounded like he was quite hip to the trip. It was, it, so far, 
I was it was seventeen and uh, no, it didn't go. It didn't go the total nuggets. No, <laughs> I mean, no it was, it, it, I think the closest we got was the Nashville teens, Google Eye, a single. We were still a singles family. We were singles right. downstairs, you know, on my mum and dad's right, uh, stereogram. So it was, it was singles. Upstairs, my brother had albums. And this was like, whoa, there's uh, some things to be discovered here. So yeah. it was like he had some good, com- a good compilations. I mean, it was a broad mix of Johnny Cash and uh, uh, 10 Years After and Curve Dare. And that kind of thing. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna veer in sort of country folky uh, Zappa. I mean, that was the, that was that was the vibe at the time. My sister was in the T Rex or Tyrant Rex then. So she had a beard of stars and that was really that was really nice to hook into that as well. And a bit of cat Stevens thrown in. Yes. Um... That was you know, that was that was that was what was that is what uh, I uh, absorbed at that age, that early yeah. age. And did you, I mean, completely, you know, going completely out there, were, were people like the Incredible String Band, did they ever come into this sort of, the, the house at all in any shape or form? You I know? think it may have, it may have. But I was, I was 10, 11, and I'm looking, I'm looking for interesting covers. Right. I'm looking at covers rather than what the Incredible String Band could do. And they looked a bit kind of, they were sitting in the back of a gypsy. You know, it was a bit kind of, uh, there was nothing there to grab me. Uh, yes. I tell you, if you'd been uh, leaned on cartoons, you know, um, that's, and that's uh, so. I, there was no no psychedelia, but I did like some. I, I always liked uh, um, uh, anything that was that would transport you, take you, like shake you into something somewhere else. Yeah, and, I, and yeah, some. Transport me somewhere and take yeah. me. And how did you, and how, did, how did a musical instrument sort of find its way into your hands? Yeah, well, my brother had a guitar. It was uh, uh, an old acoustic he had in the house. And occasionally I'd try and play the start of uh, what's the Beatles track? You know, there's the, the, a buzz. Man. No, no, no. There's the one where there's a buzz at the start. It goes down. Day Tripper. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I try and play that, and that was about the limit of my, my musical. Uh, I'd, I'd get that. I'd almost uh, get that buzz long enough with my thumb on the on the, uh, the, the bottom string. Yeah. And then I'd, uh, I'd go downstairs and watch telly. <laughs> <laughs> that was good fun. You persevered there for <laughs> at least five minutes. <laughs> so when, when sort of, you know, as, as we were sort of going through that um, 70s and you, know, you had the glam period and then, you know, I remember, you know, obviously we got very excited with the anthemic sound of, you know, the bass eater rollers and then there were bands yeah. like um, Alex Harvey, who was quite scary to watch when you were quite young, wasn't he? Staring oh, at you, staring at you on the telly, he even felt... I think, I think if you're English, you get frightened by Alex Harvey. Yeah, I, we I, were, uh, I still get quite was, frightened. <laughs> but he's but in your face. Alex Harvey was fantastic. Yes. He was like a huge part of me growing Just like that that excitement, that theatre he brought to, to music was fantastic. I know. And the Bo- songs were Boston great. Tea, Boston Tea uh, Party. Yeah, yeah wow. but oh, he's, I mean, there were such great tunes. And he was uh, well, a great lineup as well. Ted McKenna and Hugh McKenna and uh, Sal Clemson. And Chris Glenn, they were fantastic. Great yeah. man. 
I was uh, I had a chance to see them at the uh, there was a big gig in the um, at Celtic Park, and, and what was it be eighty five eighty six I think, and they were playing with the the Who, and Who were headlining Alex Harvey Band and um, uh, Little Feet, the Outlaws. That was a great lineup, and it must be a fiver. I think it was ridiculous. Oh, nice. And, um, one of our entourage, uh, he, he, as we were right on the front, great, great position. As a, uh, one of the stewards or uh, first aid steward walked by our room, he, he patted her on the ass as she went by, and he got thrown out. And so we were. This was after two bands in, and uh, we felt some kind of obligation to leave with him as well. So we all left. We missed oh. Alex Harvey. We missed the Who. And we got the train back to Edinburgh in silence. I go, I, I, I regret this to the day because months later, Keith Moon died. And a year or two later, Alex Harvey died. So that was that. I mean, that's the, it's blown. Your chance is blown. Yes. Yeah. Oh. I was, uh, it's a big regret of my life. I did see Alex Harvey, the band with, uh, what do you call him, Max, um, I forget the guy's name. He stood in for Alex Harvey, and it was um, it was uh, what well, I could tick it off, but it wasn't Alex Harvey. It wasn't. Yeah. No, it was. It's just not. It's not there, is it? Really? No. So when did you, you know, sort of fast forward slightly to the the late seventies? When did mm-hmm. when did the sort of the band start to, you know, form? When did when did the the fire? Yes. When did it start to happen? Well, there was a few a few. Um, we started off really as the Dirty Reds. There was a band from a friend from, from I know, Tam Byrne, he's an actor now, Tam Dean Byrne. Yeah, I've known him since I was about seven or eight. He lived just about 100 yards from my house. And his brother Russell, who was a drummer on the fire engines, was, um, uh, started a band, the Dirty Reds, as I say, and um, played a few gigs with the Rosillos. Supporting the Zillows and a few other things, and it kind of imploded. The guitarist left, uh, the the bass player, and Davy Henderson and I moved in to Dirty Reds Mark Two. Right, and we had uh, we played a few gigs, a few crazy, um, uh, mad, mad. There, uh, first gig was just over. What's happened here? Things were equipment was flying all across the room. Symbols and Jesus, it was madness. It was great. Yes, <laughs> and we were there. We were kind of there was a few reviews which were just so scathing, and it was fantastic. We loved it. Yeah, <laughs> because during that time there were there were there was a really small there was a not small well they were small because they were so young, um, the Pratts. You know they were. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they were mm-hmm. they'd only just barely left school. They were still at school. If they were probably still at school, actually. They were so young. I mean, did, I mean, was it a kind of a case of that punk ethos coming through that you thought, look, anyone can do this. Let's just give it a go. Well, the Pratt's were a bit later. We'd been, uh, we were kind of on uh, uh, with uh, Bob Last. It was kind of a little pet project with the Pratt's. We were, uh, we'd been uh, playing a few for a while um, as the fire engines while the Pratt's yeah. were on the but um, we'd done, uh, yeah, we're, I'll say there was, there was a Dirty Reds, and Tam, uh, he left to follow his, uh, to go to college and uh, further his acting. And we 
took in Murray Slade, the guitarist. He was um, he was in a band at uh, uh, Station Six in Edinburgh. He came in and joined us, and we had a first gig. What was it? March nineteen eighty, and uh, played three songs. That was that was really really great. It was a really exciting exciting sound. We had uh, it was raw. It was everything I wanted it to be. It was it was mad, and uh, and it was in your face, and it was kind of it was we're, we're, we we pushed we pushed a, a boundary, I think, then really nicely. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it was kind of, it was kind of interesting because a few years later, you know, in the sort of the that sort of mid eighties, we had a lot of bands like Stump and Bogshed and Big Flame, who were kind of quite, you know, this. Yeah, they they were kind of jar slightly jarring. Whereas you were sort of you were quite early in that sort of the post punk period, weren't you? That that kind yeah. of quite, uh, yeah. Had a, had a lot of kind of edge to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we we've been listening to um, well while we we're uh, staying in, in uh, flats. We kind of lived together as some kind of it was almost like a, three of us. You know, Davy, Davy, Russell, and I, and Tam. Uh, we shared flats and we'd stay up all night. We'd listen to music. We'd listen to Fall. We'd listen to Captain Beefheart. And, uh, everything really, and read uh, Kerouac and, and just get, just get, stay up, just drink loads of coffee, drink, take dodos, and then ask, uh, of, uh, ad, um, anti guitar tablets for a kind of uh, inexpensive hit and just, uh, yeah. and create music. And I was just, uh, we did stuff, um, yeah, we we got a few a few songs together, and it was uh, yeah, it was, the finding was really good. It, it was a four piece. I mean, was it quite an yes. explosive kind of dynamic between the four of you? No, no, no explosive in the slightest. We're really we're all on the same we're on the same sheet. We're really uh, we're almost like brothers. It was great. And I really I really feel really strong about. It. I still feel so strong about my world and brothers by name. Uh, David Russell Murray. It's just, and uh, we 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 just we we had, we're all singing off the same sheet and yes. being, um, enjoying the same music, getting introduced to different. Uh, diff, well, David introduced me particularly more stuff with the Velvet Underground, you know, early stuff, and uh, and we just. We just it was discovery. It was a, like, a long voyage of discovery. Yeah, it was I mean, was musical was it coming together as a four piece. I mean, or was yeah. there anyone in particular within the band who was kind of leading it, or was it the four of you who all sort of brought together, you know, brought sort of ideas to, to the table? Yeah, well, we all we brought everything. We we all contributed our own our own pieces. David was doing the lyrics and uh, his guitar. Murray had the he had the uh, he was the most musical, musically savvy amongst us all. And Russell was, he was, Russell was, he would play without, uh, with no uh, hi-hat cymbals, no cymbals at all. I think he threw away the last cymbal when I played in the Dirty Reds. Yeah. And that was right across the room. But the, uh, yeah, but there was, uh, <laughs> but we never did it. That's why it's a cowbell. We'll hear a cowbell. And Russell was like, he was fantastic. We're playing with uh, a tambourine 
as the, the, the one drumstick tambourine and playing the cowbell with the tambourine. And it was, and it, whenever we count in a song, we always count in a song, Russell would do the, the count. And it depended just how, how speedy Russell was on that particular day. I mean, you could take off a real, a, a huge pace and we'd have to keep up. So that was like, he kind of dictated, Russell dictated the band, really. It was just like, Jesus. And sweat lashing up us at the end of the gig. But Russell yeah. just calm down, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> yes. Well, that's, that's youth and enthusiasm. But then when yeah. you, got, you got your first single out, which was um, Get Up and Use, Use Me and um, Everything's Roses. I mean, this was yeah. recorded with a phenomenal tight budget, wasn't it, really? Yeah. There was, um, there, was, there was not a great deal of money around there. A, f- a friend at the, um, who was uh, at the art college in Edinburgh um, was willing to put up the money. I think it was £200 or something. And uh, didn't want any, said, I don't want to be recognised or anything like that. But he was. We put his name up, Paul Steen. And it was it's on the back of the label. But he was really generous. And he just said, just go ahead and, and record it. We did it fairly quickly. As you can hear, it was like we didn't, there was a, a false start and it was uh, just carry on. And we liked that, we liked that stuff, that ethos of just like, this is live, you know? Yes. It's not a, it's a, a, a polished production. But I still hear that now, I still hear it. I feel it's like, it still gives me a, 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 a shudder at the back. I think it's really, it's still exciting, you know? I don't think it's a great, uh, the best production, but it's enough to get me like, that is really good. It still sounds great. David sounds fantastic. Russell's really on it. Murray's brilliant. I'm just like, I'm just like, yeah, I'm there too. Yeah. Uh, they're, they are, they were really brilliant, the rest. And did you, and were you amazed when, you know, the NME and Sands both sort of gave it singles, single of the week, which must have been phenomenal? Yeah, that was, um, Paul Marley was really quite, really, um, he was very keen on the fans. Um, it was, um, it was, uh, it was really nice. We got on really well with him. We had an interview down in Soho, and uh, and he was, uh, he he thought we were fantastic. And uh, suddenly it was just like, what single of the week? Things were we were kind of being thrust into uh, in this, into the light, you know. And that, well, we, were, we felt we were kind of we could be ready. We could play some gigs. We do stuff and uh, continue on that on that line. But the. Um, um, yeah, yeah, and what was quite interesting about that period because in '79, Thatcher gets in, yeah, big moment. Then we have the we have the Falkland crisis or war, really. Um, yeah. but then also, you we had the gatekeepers, which were really quite important at that stage, you know, which is something which isn't quite the same now, which is obviously things change. But, you know, you had John Peel, you had the music papers, you had these yes. live venues sort of dotted around the country and you know, every city had a, or town had an alternative night or an indie night, mostly weekly, but at least yeah. once yeah. a month. So, you know, bands were able to get in their trusty transit van and just drive yeah. for the love of driving yeah. motorways on. Sherpa vans, we were Yes, and get yes. back at four in the morning, unloading. And That's right. Still, still enjoying life. But, um, and so so you got, you know, Single of the Week in the NME, which obviously had a circulation of a ridiculous amount, something like 100, oh, yeah. thousand, I believe. And then, you know, the yeah. other paper. And then sort of John, and then you had a John Peel session or two, which is, again, you know, you're ticking all the boxes here, aren't you? Yeah. Well, we did, we'd been, um, 
I remember we were driving out to uh, Castle Sound. We were doing some some uh, recording. Bob Last had uh, had uh, him seventeen. He the human league had split that time, and he was he was uh, he had this this rough cut of uh, we don't need this fastest groove thing. And we thought that'd be that'd be great. It'd be great to do that. We got a cover of it for John Peel because we just like what. The three other songs and we stick that one. We practiced it, and there was uh, yeah, it's it's people talk about it. Go like, oh, that, what did you find? Oh, that's brilliant. But we were just like, that's a filler. There was nothing really. Uh, uh, that we could be particularly proud of, but it was the other stuff that was great. That's a, the untitled one in John Peel on that first one. It was just a. When David puts the brakes on at the very end, there, it's just like, wow, that still gets me uh, really excited. It's a great tune. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, and John, the first John Peel was really good. It, it, was, it, ticked, it ticked those boxes. And I think it was, uh, and people enjoyed it as well. Yeah. And why, and why did you go for fast forward, no, fast forward, fast product records rather than, than the. Um, than postcard, postcard. Records. Yeah. because obviously postcard has got you know we we all know the Alan Horn I think it's Alan Horn yeah I sometimes get mixed with that in fifty third and third but thankfully that was Stephen Pastel um yeah. Yeah, so why why the 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 fast product well we've been we've been going up there since seventy eight we went up to uh, used to go Bob Bob's flat. In, in town, the big Georgian high high ceiling uh, flat with artworks and um, ideas bouncing around, and there uh, was always on the phone. It was on the phone with Seymour Steen or something because he was involved in the Brazils, right? Uh, and um, and we just we just got up there and hang out. You know, everybody would hang out. We'd be up there, the scars would be there. We'd just like one play the scars and Brazils, Gang of Four, um, the Mekons. Uh, or human league, and all, uh, so we'd pop up to Bob's and see what was going on. Bob was uh, he had ideas, and he, he he proposed. He had some proposals that we, we liked the idea of. Alan Horn was dead keen as well. He was really keen to get us on on his label. But he did a we did a show in uh, in Glasgow with uh, Orange Juice and Joseph K. We're big pals with Joseph K. in Edinburgh. It always had been for for years, and uh, and honestly, just loudly as well. But the um, when we Alan Holm was home, hopefully he was, he was going to try and by kind of osmosis take uh, the fire engines into the postcard. You know, people would see this as as that, that band. We would uh, we would take take his deal, yeah, a good deal as well. I mean, Alan Alan was uh, it was offering us, um, I and mean, it was a Looking back on it, it was uh, it was a good, it was a good. <laughs> we went with Bob, who had the yeah, uh, more uh, artistically driven uh, image-wise and uh, uh, ideas for the band with uh, Lubricated Living Room, you know. And, the, yeah. uh, and we went with went with Bob. It was um, yeah, we went with Bob. <laughs> you sound a bit um yeah well, we'll get to <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i mean obviously at that stage you know i mean 
you know, you, you've, you, like you said, you ticked all the boxes, John Peel, you know, yeah. the week, you know, the, things going well with the dynamic of the band, you know, the first single, you know, obviously going well, second, then you brought out your, you know, candy skin as well. Yeah. Which was which was incredibly successful. This was kind of eighty one, and and at that stage, I mean, because I'm you know I have to confess I'm quite obsessed with indie pop, and I sort of put indie pop between eighty three to eighty seven, which are the years of the Smiths. I mean, it's not a great theory. Right. It's as good yeah. as yeah. Because then sort of the Smiths break, then ecstasy, and then the music scene changes a bit more. But before that, you know, we had a lot of scratchy bands, and sort of that you know, like I mentioned, post punk period, and then yeah. you had that sort of the birth of people like you know. Um, I don't know, Julian Copes, you know, Teardrop Explodes. Yeah. Explode. Then you had, you know, Big Country, Simple Minds, U2, you know, all the Aneco and the Bunny Men. So there was the, those kind of bands who were forming in that period and some went yes. on to be phenomenally successful. Yeah. And some, you know, didn't, well, well, it's still a successful, but, you know, I mean, Jesus, I mean, Simple Minds and U2 are huge global yeah. stars and, and Big Country, I thought were amazing. So, but you were sort of right there, kind of, all you know on on the launch pad really weren't you well yeah we were the uh yeah as a after the back goes a good thing that what we did when we finished when we did that you left with some a beautiful corpse you know that was uh <laughs> and that's uh it was fine we left we didn't disgrace ourselves as I think uh, you can look at Simple Minds, oh, you too, I, I just can't be bothered. Yeah. That's just Flatlands on record. And, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in that. Was, these bands, I never were at a time. I remember we, we, we supported you too in, uh, in Edinburgh, and it must be 980. And it was, uh, it was a nice review by the student magazine. We blew them off stage, according to the, according to the magazine. That's, I wish I'd kept it. I quite like that. Yeah, but, uh, just you two. I mean, just like no thanks. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we that was that that was it. I mean, it seems it was it was it was um, the name was almost it was almost descriptive, you know. We were gonna burn, you know, and we did fast and bright. Yeah. So, so I mean, what was the kind of you know because you you split up quite sort of neatly. At the end yeah. of December 1981, mm-hmm. not the 12th of December, but the 31st. I mean, what was, yeah. what was the kind of the reason for that sort of all coming to an end? Well, Bob had been working his, his, his Machiavellian ways to get um, to, he's, he, Davy was what Bob wanted. He took Davy out and said, oh, he was getting production deals. And, uh, he offered Davy a, a deal, which he took, and he has said on record that he's uh, on reflection that we really should have he backed off of it and uh, thought about it and just uh, regrouped. See, we're, we're young and impulsive. We're only like what, 18, 19, 20, 21 over that period. And we felt like if if you if you would would. Suddenly we got this great review of Paul Morley <clears throat> and it was, uh, we're, we're in the spotlight. And so what are we going to follow up? You know, what are we going to do with this? Uh, what songs can we get? And we, f- we suddenly felt the pressure was on. And there was no need to, and, and an adult point, you just go like, okay, we're just backing off. We'll take a couple of weeks out, a couple of months, and come back with some ideas, fresh ideas. 
and uh, put it on the table, see how things, see what we can come up with. But we just felt, that's it, that's it. We've, we've, uh, it's, we're toiling. We're like, you know, I, I always think it was like thinking too much about what people wanted rather than what we wanted, what, what, what we enjoyed, what the music we, what inspired us, and, and uh, how can we just carry on uh, making that music? But it was suddenly, uh, what do you think people want? And it was like Spandau Ballet and everybody coming up, you know, these things and the things were becoming kind of glossy with an eye on the charts as well. Yeah. And it was, and our second job, just the second job people uh, session was kind of, was kind of, uh, you can see what we're trying. And I don't think it fails entirely. There are, there are a few really good hooks and there's a, there's a makings of a few good tunes in. Time out, you know, take a couple of months out. We could have worked on those tunes and come up with something really, really good and continued. But it was what it was, and David did, uh, David went with uh, with Bob. Yeah. Uh, so, did you, so because you'd, you'd brought the album out, you know, at the start of the year, didn't you? Duplicate your living room. Well, yeah, so, well, the, the, the concept, yeah, well, on an album. So, it was really just a long jam, you know. I was, right. it was, it was, uh, it was instead of music to wind down to, like music to wind down to, it was music to wind up to and go <laughs> out, you know, and get out and just it was active music. So it was like that. Then it was, uh, it was a good idea. I liked that. I mean, it was some Bob, I'm not dismissing entirely. I mean, there were some ideas that were really good, which we, we may not have come up with if we'd gone with Alan. Uh, yeah. Postcard, you know, but I was saying, uh, Bob was an ideas man. And, uh, he likes to, he was an um, architect, so he was likes to, he always likes to like, be in control and what he builds, you know? So he was just the one to take, take the keystone from the fire engines and uh, put it in another bridge, you know, while we were uh, still, we could have still done something, you know? It's, it's, it's always like, you look at the, like, the sophomore years of like, the second album, and just how things can go a bit kind of awry. But the fall managed for years and years making great music and just changing all the time with Marquis Smith, you know? And yeah. that would be my template. If uh, we're looking back on it, that yeah. was uh, what Marquis Smith did. He was yeah. always brilliant. Always brilliant. As long as it was Marky Smith and his grand, it could have been Marky Smith and what was his grandmother on Bongo? His grandmother on the Bongo was it's it the was fall. still the fall. Yes, a classic. That was a classic. Oh, right. But then you know, with with eighty one, you know, looking back at it, which obviously is different than being in eighty one, can you see yeah. how it kind of all that particular year just all kind of came from, you know, how it all kind of shaped to the end when you sort of called it a day? Was it kind of inevitable that it was going to finish? No. No, it was um, it was a well. We were kind of a bit. We were. It was a bit kind of soul searching, like musical soul, and looking for uh, for what we could what we could do. And just we gave up too quickly. We gave up too quickly. Bob was uh, he had ideas with uh, Hillary, his, his partner, and um, she was. In the, if you see Riverside, Hillary's in the, the back, and almost like <laughs> she's almost like casing the joint. It's really funny, but she's she was backing singers with the fire and we did Riverside, did a few songs. She's there as like an HR uh, secretary. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> but, uh, 
it was what it was going to be. We'd, 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 put a, we'd put everything in with Bob, you know, we'd done, and he was, he was working with Scott Pauletti. He was, he's an ideas man, he's not bothered because I didn't really I, I, I had never sort of come across this character but was he a little bit like Malcolm McLaren in the sense of looking for projects to sort of really work and kind of I don't know suddenly sort of make happen you know make something really happen which is you know art so. yeah, yeah um, well um, yeah I'm not gonna um, I and mean, that's what Bob does He's always been like, he was doing that. He had some good ideas. He worked well with Scott Play in uh, uh, the Human League and the first in the Gang of Four, 2.3, the Mekons. So they're great, really good singles. And he was, he was right there at the, at the uh, All Hartman in, the, in, the, um, in the, the 70s and 80s. And he, 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 we were just an, an obstacle that could be, uh, that could be more better utilised by whittling parts of it away and uh, and moving it on to somewhere else, you know, just like a little, little like a, a piece of a jigsaw, just stick it somewhere else and then it'll happen there. Didn't yeah. happen so quick, you know, because it was a, a uh, there was a, a band with Hillary and Davy called Heartbeat, which was um, it, it didn't quite, it never gelled. Davy was never happy in that. So this was this was what with his production deal it was kind of. It was. Um, I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking as I see it, rather than what David said to me. So I mean, he, he may say something different, but as I as I saw it, it was. Uh, I just thought it was. Um, there was nothing really happening there, and um, yeah, Hillary was uh, was was the leader of that band, and David was not too happy in the in a, a, a following role. It. Um. Like, I mean, did you have a moment then on? you know, the end of the year, do you all sit down and, you know, draw a line under the fire, the fire engines at that stage? Well, it was all quite amicable. I never, I didn't, um, there was no histrionics. We were not, uh, David said what he was going to do and we were just, well, okay, it was, it was okay. Yeah. Because it was, it was, it was kind of like, it was like your brother leaving, leaving home when he's going to get married or something. Well, okay. Yeah. And it was, um, yeah, well, I was obviously sad. I just, I was, uh, was um, we had, we, there was nothing else on the horizon. Right? There was no other uh, deals that were being put out for us, and we, we just decided the fire engines was the four of us. And yeah. that's it. You know, if David leaves, we're not going to do like a, you know, a Velvet Underground once Lou Reed has left. It's not, uh, it's just not the same. No. We, were, we were the fire engines, and that was it. And so, did and has and did Dave, you know, in the years gone by, did Davey sort of regret making that decision and sort of getting not less, yeah, but, but sort of it, like, yeah, I should have just stayed and heartbeat. He has, said, he has said that on several occasions, and it's and I, I, I love David so much, you know. And he's he's uh, David's so honest. He's, he's, we are like we're we're all so close and still are. You know, we're we're in constant touch, yeah. and uh, he regrets that. He he does regret. He said Bob made him an offer he should have refused, but it was uh, it went on to to uh, after heartbeat on to win. You know, which you'll know about in the in the mid eighties. And I thought I thought win had a few. Uh, it was not. I mean, it was not without 
matter. There was some, there was, but some of it worked. You know, it was like uh, shiny pop. It was being uh, there were there were Russell and Davy and Ian Stoddart, rest in peace, who died just in the summer there, unfortunately, the, the drummer. And um, it was that lasted for so long and didn't really good songs, some good songs in amongst there, relevant songs now. Um, and um, that was uh, that that went away as well. I'm mean, gonna just went away off. Uh, of of it all, and Debbie is now in the after the nectarine number nine, which is really good, onto the sexual objects. Yeah, so I'm jumping way ahead there. Yes, and what? And so, and so, so it's in '82 when you wake up on New Year's Day mm-hmm. without being in a band. What? What then? Sort of, do you sort of um, do with your bass and the music world? Yeah, yeah, I sold my bass. I regret that to this day. It was a beauty. It was a beautiful old Baldwin, a 1965 Baldwin, uh, semi-acoustic. It was gorgeous. I bought it from David Well from um, Joseph K. We used to change um, guitars with uh, um, Malcolm Ross and sell guitars to David and Edwin had some beautiful guitars as well we'd buy. But this particular one, I was really, I was really loath to sell. I don't know, just at the time, it was just like things are looking like a bit of money. I just yeah. just sell it. But it's a, it's a classic. It's a gorgeous guitar. I sold yeah. it for like seventy pounds. The action was really high. I mean, it really was high. And uh, uh, instead of handing in to get the to get a lord, uh, I just sold it to a guy. Obviously, spotted a spotted a real a real beauty. I've seen it, it's like three thousand. No, it's just beautiful. Oh. And the, the, my, uh, you could see, you could walk around Edinburgh and we like little uh, little shops, music shops, uh, music equipment would pop up. In the Cowgate in Edinburgh, there was a, a, a Vampire amp, which was uh, Mark Boland's preferred amplifier for like £30. And it's thousands of pounds now. It's just, a, it's a beautiful old transistor amp. But we kept, what we did do with the uh, with Murray was he had a beautiful Selmer, a Selmer amplifier. And he's kept that ever since. Murray has, has not changed in the fire engines. He has uh, the same guitar, a Rickenbacker, and that's a 60, 65 Rickenbacker, and uh, a, Selmer, a Selmer amplifier. And he's got that unique sound, and Murray has, uh, has kept that ever yeah. since. So did you, I mean, was that the end of your musical world no well, i went back and worked with uh, bob in the musical uh, in the record uh, distribution fast forward so i was working with him for a few years um and with uh on that side of the business while david was was finding his way and win and uh, russell but then uh, I, I did a, i did a tour i was working back then with orange juice as well I did a UK and American tour with Tangerine Dream as oh, nice. a road manager with them, which was great. That was a really nice, nice little, nice gig. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And then, nice I mean, and when the the um, the fire engines reformed to support the Magic Band, who I remember yeah. sort of did an amazing tour, and I remember seeing them at the Norwich Arts Centre. 
because that yeah. was with, with that was with most of the band they did a few a few years later they did another one but with very few original members but they still had the drummer yeah. um who was amazing um Jumbo. John, yes john john jumbo that's it really yeah. yes good um yeah he was quite the character isn't he um <laughs> did you were you part of that or were you not part of that we we, we played in uh but yeah we supported the the, the band in uh in edmund oh, so, uh, so you got your ba- you got a bass back and you really- oh yeah of course oh well, yeah I could, I could i could try humming the part no, I, just, I, I didn't know because I, I, <laughs> I wasn't a hundred percent sure who were whether no, that, I, you were. You I, were saw, I saw the beaut- I saw the beautiful guitar, which was like I was that really high, uh, that high sound that I got from that that semi acoustic bass guitar. But no, I, I, I got fender, a fender jazz that I played on, on that gig uh, with the Magic Band. We played in Edinburgh, we played in Glasgow as well, and there were there were really beautiful guys, Rockette Martin and Jumbo. And, and it was just we were the a guy Martin Mackey who runs the regular music in Edinburgh and throughout Scotland. <clears throat> he was saying like, "Come on, dude, you should. You, that'd be great if you guys you got together and you got back together and did that." this I mean, was twenty three years after we split up. It was a big. It was a big. Uh, should we? And Davey was like, "It was really up to Davey." I mean, I was. I said, "I'm in." I mean, I'm really, I love the band. They're fantastic. I've been listening to them since I was ten years old. Yeah. With, uh, with on Frank Zappa and stuff, you know, and, and Hot Rats, and some of the band there. And it was uh, so. Yeah, we decided we've got to do this. This, is, this would be absurd if we didn't get back together. Had a few, a few practices, and it was just like getting on a bike again. It was great. It was really great, and we had a great time. Played with the band. Uh, they were, they were playing in Glasgow as well, so we did that. We, we spotted them again it was a couple of months later. Franz Ferdinand got wind of this, and they they were touring at the time. They were quite they were like big big fans of the Edinburgh scene in the early eighties. With Joseph K, I was just fans and what have you, and uh, associates. <clears throat> and um, we're doing a, a a gig in the Barrowlands in Glasgow. Uh, so come along, you can. Uh, Come on, uh, come on with that. So, a Christmas one. That was a, the 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 following weekend. Went along there, I met them, and they were, they were dead keen that we should play at the the SECC. It was a uh, it was about the twenty. It was about twenty third of December in two thousand nineteen. No, what was that? Anyway, it was in that whole that whole time, two thousand three or something, two thousand three four, and. Uh, it was uh, the Kaiser Chiefs were were supporting us and uh, Franz Ferdinand, and it was about five thousand people there, which is about more than we'd ever played throughout all our, all we'd ever played. Probably the Read total of all, all the people who've ever seen ever seen uh, seen live. The weekend was like, yeah, get off, and David went on go there. Hello, teenage Glasgow. They're kind of like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, there was just uh, well, uh, uh, well we never there was beer flying around I've never seen that why are you throwing beer around you know glasses well plastic but it was uh, thrown around all over the place and uh, we had a great time I just thought yeah we'll just play it and blow it blow yeah. it out there and uh, they, some loved it some were really happy to see it Franz Ferdinand were really chuffed 
So, yeah, absolutely. So then you yeah. then you sort of managed to sort of put together a compilation of your material, didn't you? Which kind of went out on CD in the UK, yeah. um, USA. So that must have been quite nice to start sort of collecting your stuff. Because one thing I've noticed in this show was that the passing of time often makes people look back and um, not just with rose-tinted sunglasses, but sort of appreciate a lot of the things that we probably did back then, but it just happened and then you move on. Then sometimes you look back and think, actually, that's kind of worth not preserving as in some sort of heritage. 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 heritage that's the word. Yeah. <laughs> it's more to do with just kind of wanting to archive it. and uh, Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it was great that you managed to sort of put all that together. Um, on, and this was on acute, the acute record label, wasn't it? Yeah, that was in America. There was an American a guy who was really dead keen to put stuff together. Uh, we'd done stuff before with Ravola. Uh, Alan, Alan McGee, had, um, had, uh, it was the first, the first um, uh, album CD tape on that, on that particular offshoot of creation. And uh, he covered most things on, on, on that one. We did put on the candy skin. We were quite, uh, we kept that off on one that we we put out before as a the teenage teenage premonition, right. premonition with uh, with it was all very early stuff without candy skin because we thought that was kind of like a, a bit of a we never, you know we're never like a hundred percent sold on that as much as it was as successful as it was we uh, kind of like to uh, meet whiplash as a as a uh, an uh, an a side but yeah it was um, yeah that, that, that yeah, there's there was three compilations out the 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 fond which was a uh, Ravola and the uh, the uh, hungry beat by yeah. uh, what do we call them? on the cute, but mostly the same a lot of some live stuff in there and uh, and the singles. Interesting. Yes, absolutely. So where does it leave the band now? Is it the fact that you're still an ongoing End, um, combo, or does it mean that um, you've sort of called it the day? Called call it a well, day? no, we didn't quite call it a day in 2003, uh, 2004. I mentioned David, and uh, I, I said, You can believe it, it's like we've, we've been together longer the second time around than the first time around, and I think that was it. I kind of put the scares, and they were like, This has got to stop because David had stuff, he was doing things with them. Um, and next to number nine, sexual objects, and it, and it has to do that. And it was like it was doing a lot, loads of stuff with, on creeping band records, and uh, Douglas McIntyre. It was fantastic. I mean, really brilliant. A really prodigious output. David's been like non-stop, yeah. and working with uh, people like Jock Scott. You know, did you know Jock Scott? Did you ever catch any of his stuff? It's no. fantastic. A, a, a muscle but a poet. Uh, he did, uh, did a few collaborations. He's good. Look him up. He, he's fantastic. Unfortunately, he died about two years ago, three years ago. Mm. But they did a collaborations with, with Jock. Uh, and he's, um, David's still working away. Still working, working away. Fantastic. But mm. after uh, 2000, uh, we split, 2004, in 2007 again, because we we gone down and played the ICA, we done a, a session from Mark uh, Mark Riley on, on BBC Six, 
and the kind of cold at the other end. The um, fast forward, no pun intended, up to uh, 2000, uh, 2017. Noi Riki is a, a, a a literature, a, a poetry a collaboration, a, 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 a unit of uh, great uh, poets in Edinburgh, musical, uh, they, they put on music around town and, and uh, take over uh, museums and, uh, and uh, work with Irving Welsh and, and uh, other, other artists. They were putting on a 21st um, birthday celebration for Train Spot. It was uh, 21 years since uh, the film right. had been put out, and it was it was in Leith Theatre. I don't know if you know Leith. It's a very it's a really like, a, a, a very positive part of Edinburgh. It, it was incorporated in Edinburgh in the in the early 20th century, but it's, uh, it still has a really strong sense of community, which has been eradicated around other places around Edinburgh, just kind of been absorbed and so. Sort of, sucked into the Edinburgh thing, but Leith has got its own identity and it's a really, it's a vibrant, vibrant uh, part of this, uh, Scotland. And yeah. it's, um, the, there was a theatre there, which, Leith Theatre, I, I saw Dr. Feelgood there and Cockney Rebel and all these, the Doctor, Bebop Deluxe, they'd all play, they'd all play, because it wouldn't, that's about three miles from the city centre, and that's, that's no problem to go there. Or anybody, but and now it seems like everything has to be within the city centre. If it's outside, you can get rid of it and make it into houses. Right. This was uh, the, there was a chance of this being uh, allowed to uh, degrade and degenerate so much that they'd, they'd sell it off and build houses in this. What somebody looked up and said, "This actually belongs to Leith rather than Edinburgh, and uh, we're going to." Um, invest money and, and, and have some uh, benefit shows and one of those benefits was the 21st birthday party for uh, Trainspot. We were part of that. The fire engines got back together again but it was going to be a one-off. So we got back together again we did that for, uh, um, with Evan Welsh and Spud, the guy, Ewan Bremner who played that, Spud yeah. in the film. And uh, Arthur Baker, the great Arthur Baker, the producer for New Order, Africa Barbata. He was there. He did. A, he did. A, he played a, a gig at night. It was fantastic. It was a brilliant night. It was just so good and so positive. Uh, it was so good that the following year there was uh, "Rip It Up" was a, an, an, uh, a show in the National Museum in Scotland of uh, pop music from 1950s to the present day, and uh, we were involved in that as well as part of like. Guitars were, were put in glass cages and uh, Rizzolo's outfits were put in, on show in the, the National Museum. And it was a great, it was a great success. It ran for June, June to November in 2018. It was, a, it was fantastic. And part of the, the whole, the, the culmination of that was a show in uh, Leith Theatre and uh, as part of the Edinburgh Festival. So we were part of that again. But we did two. We went back to our old ways and did two 15-minute sets. <laughs> a 15-minute 15, a 15 set. Then Lydia Lunch came on in between, did her bit. Then we did our second our second set. Then uh, Michael Rota from Noi uh, did a gig right after. 
thrilled is another word. It was fantastic. It was a great well, gig. Yes, I remember that. Yes, because there's been, interestingly enough, there's there's been a bit of a uh, resurgence in document and a lot of things that have been happening in the Scottish kind of musical scene. Was it yeah. this year there was a book on concerts, gigs and in, 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 yeah, that's right. in Scotland that just literally came out and then there was the this big exhibition with you know one of your main radio DJs seemed to have written a book on was that the one that was called Rip It Up by the way? Vic Galloway yeah Rip It Up yeah yes. that's the one so Vic Galloway was involved in that as well who's a Radio Scotland DJ that's the man yes so I, yeah. I, I interviewed him just to talk about that book but it seems like right. go yeah because and and um yes I now remember it's all coming back to me I should yeah I didn't realise I didn't realise all these different connections actually. Otherwise, I didn't yeah. research. But anyway, yes, I did. A, yes, so he did send me that kind of stuff. And I know that Cherry Red Records have been bringing out compilations of various kind of. Uh, I think um, one on Scotland as well, a five CD. Yeah. As well, so so there's been a lot of kind of. Um, Is this up to the beyond the well, beyond the eighties? Yeah. I can't remember what it was called now, but. Um, They've just there has just been in the last year or two there's just been an awful lot of um documentation hasn't there on sort of yeah. bits and pieces so then okay then so what does it mean for the band well obviously this year has been a disaster but i mean just generally what has been the the you know the outcome of that last couple of benefit gigs that you did um quite recently well, I think some money has been raised, quite a decent bit of money, to repair the roof to this fantastic theatre, this fantastic resource, which is, belongs to Leith and is becoming uh, is now coming back into uh, regular use. As you'll probably see down south, certainly seen in other major cities, places closing, venues. Edinburgh is really bad for this. There's so many places. There's hardly anywhere compared to when I, uh, we were starting out. There was yes. gigs, gigs anyway, and it's just like, seems to be houses being uh, popping up everywhere for students, you know, student lets, and it's it's really sad to see my daughter. It's just like she's been in tears seeing some of these venues getting torn down, and it's 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 it's, 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 it's you've got to fight back. This is like something you just can't let happen. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people will buy, they'll move into these beautiful apartments, city centre apartments. And uh, they've been sold the uh, the lifestyle, <clears throat> you know. They see fantastic the shopping and everything, you know. You see the images, but uh, hang on, there's a there's a club along there, and that's kind of disturbing my peace. So if you get rid of that club, I'll uh, it'll be it'll just be lovely. It'll be nice and quiet and dead. <laughs> what it'll be? That's happened. Uh, yes, bizarrely, that has well, not bizarrely, that's happened in Norwich, by the way. Yeah. Well, it really pisses me off. It really does. I mean, it's just it's terrible to see this happen. Yeah. Glasgow's got, there's, there's, got, there's a few uh, decent sort of railway sidings and uh, SW3Gs. They're really good. I mean, there's some fantastic spaces still. I, I, Glasgow's a place to be for music just now. Edinburgh's got to get its act together. The yeah. council's really failing us badly, badly. It has been bad. Yes. So look, just looking up here, it was a compilation called Big Gold Dreams, which came out on Cherry Red Records. That was a five CD box set a couple of years ago. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. Fe- that features everybody. 
the Scars, mm -hmm. the Associates, the Pratts, Joseph K. So does that mean then that the, oh, look, the fire engines, Big Gold Dream. Oh, it's named after your band, after your single. I should have realized that, shouldn't I? No, that's that. <laughs> but the Metro, is Metro Park there? Oh, like, have a look there. I think Metro Park is a good band. Yes. I was sort of kind of, uh, listen then, you like that. Yeah, the weight. Um, so yeah, so where does that leave you now? I mean, I know this year hasn't has has thrown no. a curveball, but it does it mean that the band are still semi going? Um, well, I wouldn't want to speak on behalf of anybody else, but I'm 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 red hot and ready. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think uh, I think David's got he's got so many things just happening just now. And it's working really well for David. Russell is uh, is doing stuff with Spectre Bullets and uh, the Bum Clocks with him and his brother, which is an old Scots name for a beetle, a particular beetle, and yeah. uh, with Malcolm, Malcolm Ross from Joseph K on guitar. And they are they are fantastic. They're just re uh, reimagining uh, Burns songs, Rabbi Burns songs, and uh, they've got something coming out uh, 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 three uh, an EP coming out in uh, January. So Russell's Russell's working away in his his uh, studio. Russell's got a great little studio. That's where we recorded um, our cover for uh, Franz Ferdinand when we when we we played with them. We, we recorded. Jacqueline and they uh, they covered uh, Get Up and Use Me, and uh, they were handed out as free singles for the gig at SCCC. But um, because the, the the audience was so young, they, they was they were using the singles as frisbees. They were flying mm. everywhere. They were they were getting chucked everywhere, and it was so <laughs> I picked a few up. I mean, I like I have never seen them. What do you do with them? Yeah. They're too big for a CD player. How do you operate these things? You know, yeah. vinyl. <laughs> yeah, it's not happening. So yeah, so basically, at the moment, it's all just kind of waiting for the next year and next decade. And and it's going to be the case that the band does occasionally reform, isn't it? No, 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 no. It's not. Davis, uh, I think Davis quite keen to draw a line on it. Unless there's something fantastic with the, uh, I don't know, the contortions or Richard Hill comes over and demands that we play with them with the Voidoids, um, we may consider it. But I think Davey's kind of, he's, he's it's, it's a lot, it's, it's, it's like changing like, the, the, the mindset when they're out playing the different songs. Huh? Davey has, yeah. I can, uh, if, David says he wants to get together and do something. I'm, I'll do something. I'm absolutely. I'm done. And yeah. Russell, I think Russell and Murray are, are in the same frame of mind as I. But I think um, it's uh, it's really up to David. But he's got he's got a, he's got his own stuff going on just now, and that's cool. That's yeah. absolutely cool. Absolutely. It's been an it's an amazing story, you know, with the band. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you had a you know, if you could have said something to an eighteen year old self started out in the in the murky and sometimes exciting world that is rock and roll you know yeah. if, if it was something you could have told them what that person you know the wisdom the experience you've had what yeah what do you say to them i'd say if someone comes up with a contract and lays it in front of you and it looks really lots of small print get a lawyer you know don't worry about it it's it'll pay off in the long term you know because if uh, there's if it's if it's 
if it's not good enough, or if they say they'll, they'll withdraw, then it's not worth it. But if anything, anything comes to contracts, make sure it's in your interest. Because we, uh, we were stung pretty badly in, uh, in the past. Yes. And uh, I think, um, you know, you don't want a pound of flesh. They want to flail you. You want the skin and the bones. So just make sure you get the right deal for yourself. And don't worry. I mean, time may take another couple of weeks before they come back with a, another offer. Just take your time. Don't, uh, don't rush into a deal. Yes. Right That's the key, isn't it? Deal. It really is. I mean, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's uh, a hard lesson. I mean, there's so many people in the in the fifties. I know Blondie was were shafted in, uh, in, uh, by the deals, and they had to go really have to do live gigs to make some money. But any any record sales were like it was they were going it was going elsewhere. Yeah. You know? uh, and uh, well, one of the worst stories was I did a li- um, an interview with Les from the Bay, Bay City Rollers. Yeah, I know. That's... Tam, is it Tam Poland? Tam Payton. Well, he was obnoxious. He was, a, he, he was odious beyond belief, that guy. Yes. I mean, he took all the money and gave them like, pocket money. And that was it. He, and he, he, he claimed poverty as he was like, living in this large house before he died, a flatulent, bloated, disgusting mess. Uh, and that's just my opinion of him. Yes, I was going. I was going to say after that, and, and there were some other negative points about him. But yeah, apart from that, he was uh, delightful. <laughs> yes, he was a lovely man. We used to have invite him over on Christmas Day. No, we didn't. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, look, this has been fa- well, Graham. Thank you ever so much for this. It's been nice talking to you, David. Yeah, that's been amazing. And, uh, you know, best of luck. And uh, it's been an amazing story, hasn't it? The fire engines. Yeah, well, it continues. I mean, that's, uh, I just, uh, can I just, uh, a little addendum there was that my, I was, my wife was in London. She worked, uh, she was in St. Martin's down in, um, uh, she was uh, college painting, uh, drawing painting down there in the early 80s. She worked with uh, the, uh, you know the sex gang children you know the yes. sex gang children yeah and she was a singer with um, with uh, Dave Roberts in uh, Car Crash International mm-hmm. uh, it was a single that was released about 83 84 and she was never credited on that single and I think that's a real it's a, I thought it was a bit disgraceful that Dave they should have done that mark it down and for the record I'd like uh, it was Louise Dick was the singer yeah. And, uh, What's the single? The single's called "All Passion Spent." Old, all, all, a double L. Passion spent. Yeah, I just, I, I either, I'm gonna. I thought this is a good platform to just get out there if anyone's listening who is a sex yeah. gang children in particular. <clears throat> but it was uh, Dave. Dave Roberts was uh, who did it. I mean, it's it uh, it a good voice. She's, she, uh, Louise, she sang backing with us on the. On the this is back home here on the on the Riverside program we did, so you'll check it out. That's quite good. Yeah, well, I I will. <laughs> Six gang children. Yes, car crash international. Oh, God. Six. I must have. Oh, sorry. Well, try car crash international. Oh no, I'm doing that one. Car crash. I don't want to. When I put this. That's okay. Just you. Do it in your own time, that's fine. What was it? Sex gang children. 
<laughs> no, it's Car Crash International. Oh, good. Was a single. Right, I've got you. Well, I've just made sure. I've got it now, but I've written it down. Anyway, look, that's great. Well, look, I will check that that's out. Great. And um, <laughs> thanks a lot. This has been good. Thank you, David. It's been take really care. Nice to speak to you. Okay. You take care as well. Stay safe. You too, yes. Bye now. Let's, let's survive this wonderful year. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye now. Bye. Yes, indeed. I love to leave those bits in um, at the end, just because they're so sort of, yes, fumbling. I love the fumblingness of the goodbyes. It's emotional. Anyway, look, that was me, David Eastall, C86 Show, in conversation with Graham Main from the Fire Engines. Um, thank you ever so much, Graham, for giving me the time for that interview. Um, if you want to contact me, make it nice, though. You can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's C86 Show. And uh, yes, all these have been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. That's it. That's out. I'm going. Have a great week. Stay safe.